Whenever I visit France, I always see lots of top bottles for sale, but when I get back home, those same bottles can be much harder to find, if not impossible. That's why I use IdealWine.com. At IdealWine.com, I can buy wines directly from France for delivery directly to my home. They have new auctions every week, and the fixed price selection is equally awesome. Clos Rouchard, Chateau Reyes, and Ulysse Colon, as well as many more greats from all over France, are regularly available on the website. Best of all, it is simple and hassle-free to buy them. Ideal Wine handles all the customs and logistics hurdles for you and for me. Wines are ordered with a couple of clicks, and then they arrive. It is simple. Check out IdealWine.com for more information. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com to find what you'd like to be drinking. I'm Levy Dalton, and this is All Drink to That, where we get behind the scenes of the wine business. Catel Plevin of the Vine Collective on the show today. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm I'm pretty dandy. I got to be honest with you. Oh, that's good. You look dandy. <laughs> yeah. Well, first time for everything. <laughs> so you're in the wine business now, but it wasn't always that way. And uh, you used to do uh, a little bit of the showbiz. Mm-hmm. And and what was that about? Um, it, that's a very hard question. What was it about? Um, it was probably about all the wrong things. Uh, uh, I think anytime you meet a young actor, you have to be very suspicious about what their, their motivation is to be in that business. It's a, it's, there's a wonderful part of the business like any other business. It's got, um, it's got its great parts, which is the, the writers, the art, the history that preceded um, Hollywood, you know, there's some spectacular writing in uh, that changed the way that we think. Even you know, Shakespeare changed the way that we thought, um, and certainly the way that we express what we thought. Um, so there's terrific parts of that that I do think, if you're open as a young actor, they infect you or they affect you. They penetrate somehow. Um, but I think anybody's motivation to become an actor is to be a star of some kind, which is usually <laughs> not a good idea. Um, and it's not a good idea because I think there's so few uh, of those that make it. And then when they make it, most of them don't appreciate being there, you know, so much. Uh, I know a lot of people who are um, in the public eye who wish they weren't so much. Um, so I think it's it's uh, the motivations to become an actor are, are a little bit fuzzy, um, for me at the beginning, but I think that they evolved and I became very interested in the art of it. And then I realized it was just a stupid profession to pursue because after a certain point, you just can't make any money. Is that true? It's true. You can't, um, there's 95, I was in all three unions, SAG, AFTRA and, uh, equity. And at any given point, there's 95% unemployment in all of those unions, which is just not a, a good arithmetic, really. It doesn't make sense. So um, if you want to be in the world, if you want to be um, participating, you really should, should look for, you know, higher, 
higher percentage of involvement in what you're actually doing. But you had some big names on the, the resume in terms of, of TV shows and stuff. I did fairly well as an actor. I mean, I wasn't, uh, you know, I wasn't always working in restaurants, which is what I did in between the, the jobs. I was a, um, <clears throat> I was a fairly, you know, well-employed actor for an unknown, but, um, but it's not enough, I don't think. I think you have to have satisfaction, too, in what you're doing. And certainly the jobs that I did, I mean, I worked on Saturday Night Live for years, which was... Very similar to our own show here. Yes. Yeah, very, you know, I was, yeah. They, I was, they were inspired by us, I believe. Yeah, I think so. I thought I'd heard somebody, uh, Lauren Michaels was yeah. talking about <laughs> that the other day. He can't tell me enough, you know, <laughs> all the phone I, calls. I'm like, Lauren, please. We're busy. I've told you before. Yeah. It's okay. I mean, you know... He should leave you alone. He should leave you alone. <laughs> You'd think he'd be busy enough. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, you were there with Lauren. And I was there with Lauren. Lauren you... and I were having lunch one day. No, I, 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 I was very lucky at the beginning of that whole process in that I had a, um, I'd gotten on the show as an, as an extra. And th those shows are, are always terrific to be around because, I mean, to be on, to be involved with because there's so much activity. But I think one of the reasons that I was on every week was because it's easier to rehire, you know, somebody to do something that you're familiar with. So they, you know, you know where the green room is. They don't have to tell you where makeup is. They don't have to tell you where, where to go. You know the routine. So I started as an extra and worked little bit parts for the sub the three years after that. I mean, it was fun. And um, the thing that I... <laughs> really stopped my career as an extra on Saturday Night Live was that I couldn't make enough money. They used to have to, they used to ask us to come in Thursday for a couple of hours to see if we were going to make uh, Oh, a skit. Yeah. Like, yeah, do I mean, we need a lady need at the this? bar? Like that kind of thing? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Does John Lovitz need somebody sitting with him in that scene or, or are we good? So um, we would, we would go in Thursdays, we would work a little bit um, on something, you know, an hour or two, and then you could split. And then Friday, you would come in maybe another hour or two. Saturday, you would work there all day, and you would go in and rehearse and then stop uh, for a couple of hours. So you could do whatever other work you were interested in doing. And then you would do the 10 o'clock, I think it was 10 o'clock, uh, run through in front of a live audience, but that wasn't taped. And it was terrific. It oh, had, you, there's a whole run-through? There's a whole run-through. Oh, I didn't know that. And then you break for dinner. It must be about 11.30. What time does the show go on? Uh, yeah, something like that. Something yeah, like, there was a short break for dinner in which Lauren didn't have dinner at that point. He would sit there and he would scratch whatever sketches didn't work or whatever they wanted to postpone for another day. So you would either get cut at that moment, which was a great thing, so you could go home. Oh, or, okay. Or yeah, you could yeah, yeah. hang around. But you still just, got paid. But you got paid, of course. It wasn't like the Soul Train dancers where they had you in to do all the work, and then they were like, here's mm -hmm. lunch, and that's it. Thanks. No, no, not at all like the Soul Train dancers. But I, I would imagine that that might have changed, too, since we were all union. I mean, it's a union gig, so your union protects you pretty um, rigorously. Got it. But I mean, you were on some other shows too. I did. Um, I did a fair amount of theater. I did a fair amount of of um, television, but mostly daytime television, which was just atrocious. I mean, in terms of writing and and uh, you know, it, it, the good not thing about daytime, <laughs> yeah, not quite as funny at all. No, and they always L had profanity. you crying. 
Yeah. Yeah, they always had to. And there was always like the close up on the face as they cut to a commercial, like the the tense moment, close up of the face. He's been cheating on me all these years. And then like. It, you yeah, know, and your heart's broken. Colgate, you know what I mean? <laughs> and that's what it was. It was in Procter & Gamble soaps, which are also quite um, conservative. I think of all the soap operas, that's the conservative line. And I think they're both off the air uh, just recently, but they were some of the oldest ones. They were, you know, predated television. They were radio shows. I didn't know that. Got like, oh, As the World Turns was like, turns. yeah, it was like radio, right? Yeah, like 15-minute radio spot, you know, to sell... Colgate to right, sell. Right. What, probably it wasn't Colgate at that time, but they're like, he hasn't been brushing three times a day. It's a scandal. <laughs> Cut to commercial, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Yeah, when they were trying to get people to do things, you know, to buy product, and that was just probably thirties and uh, just post depression, and people had a little bit yeah. of money. You're gonna feel better with clean teeth, right? Trust right. me. And you're gonna <laughs> belong more to the culture, and so that was that was really. Um, you know, a, a not a, a, a satisfying acting experience. But subsequently, you know, I had very satisfying acting experiences and they didn't always have to do with working. Um, they had to do with studying too. They had to do with working with teachers rather than getting paid. The The good thing about daytime soaps is that they pay you. And that's terrific. Um, so you can kind of, and, and you pour all that money back into the business. I mean, you pour it all back into study like wine, well, um, exactly. I know a little bit of what you're talking yes. about there. You know, like. <laughs> I mean, the WSET is is not inexpensive, and it was, in my opinion, money well spent. So, um, the method, as it's called in a the business, method. <laughs> <laughs> the method, exactly. But it's, so then you did more restaurant stuff on the side to kind of like make those ends meet. I did, and I did it because also because I found it more satisfying. Um, to to work in restaurants, I, I think, was a kind of a grounding uh, situation for me. I, I've, I've always found it. I When I first graduated from college, I got an office job, which was really not my personality at the time. It was, I found it um, tedious and I found it um, not challenging, but I, I really gravitated towards working in restaurants. I think it was because of the social aspect of it. You were around a lot of people your own age. Um, you were making cash, which was very attractive. For the longest time, I think I made more money than all of my friends just working in the restaurant scene in New York. I grew up here, so it, it was, you know, coming home and working. Um, and I think what um, what really changed uh, for me was waking up and realizing that so many of my colleagues or friends um, had moved on in their careers where cash you know, and the tables had turned where they were making way more money than I was, and they had lives that were growing. And I was, I thought, you know, unless you really put yourself into an ownership position of a restaurant, it, it really, it, it's. I mean, I don't even mean to be derogatory about it, but it it's a way I think of getting somewhere else. I think if you're going to start off as a waiter and then move into management, which is what I did as a as a restaurant person, um, you really want to you you really want to be um, you want to be growing. And and wine for me was a way of doing that. Um, I think when I f discovered wine, which was you know, a godsend, I think, in the restaurant world, it was a whole world of, of knowledge that I could just plunge 
into. And, you know, at this point, I just, I see it as a mountain that will never be, you know, the peak of which will never be reached. It's, there's so much to learn and so much that changes all the time. That was exciting to me and restaurants didn't provide that. So it was, it was a real oasis, you know, discovering wine. Um, and I think that's probably true of a lot of people. I see waiters, you know, I do waiter training still. And I see in a sea of 20 waiters looking at you, you know, 18 of them are bored. And two of them are thirsty for more knowledge. And they want to learn. And they're excited when they connect something. And these are young drinkers, too, so they're not experienced in terms of tasting. But what they when they realize that they have the the ability to discern something in a wine, which I think everybody does, or most people do, you can see them come alive with that. And a lot of them I've seen turn into buyers. I mean, it's pretty nice. I'm sure you've seen the same. Um, personal experience, I was one of those guys who was hoping he was going to get cut. <laughs> like, are you going to – I'm still getting paid for this. Okay, I'll take two points and I'll go home. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, so – but you didn't always do front of the house. You did back of the house too, right? No, I studied back of the house, but I never – I was already post-acting at that point. I really decided to stop being an actor and was very satisfied with the decision of it. I felt very much at peace with it. I was – I decided to go back to school, so and I was working, so I didn't have a lot of money. I didn't want to go to CIA. I was married. I didn't want to travel to Hyde Park. I didn't want to do anything like that. But I, I wanted to pursue this idea of of business in restaurants. So I went to the New York uh, City um, Technical University, part of City University. Okay, it's in Brooklyn, and I enrolled to their hospitality department there. And I um, pursued, I had already gotten my bachelor's. I wasn't really looking for a degree, but I was looking for education. And we had to take culinary classes. So that was part of what I did. And I was always good at those. Uh, I mean, there are a couple of good stories about those. Um, but you Perhaps know, you'd... you might share. <laughs> I don't know if the there... occasion ever presented itself. <laughs> I'd be happy to. A microphone of some sort. <laughs> I had a wonderful professor. It, you, we, we would start early. So it was 7 o'clock in the morning. You would start your culinary class. It was a three-hour class, and you would make, you would make let's say, uh, you know, stock, which was really, you know, in, an, interesting, an interesting thing to study. Um, because now, I, now when you talk about finding agents and things like that uh, with, with the pursuit of study of wine, you really do understand what protein does. So you would make this stock and you would let it boil, you know, for an hour, two hours, whatever the bones and everything. And um, and then you would introduce your albumin protein, whatever, you know, it was usually egg white, uh, was, which is the albumin. Um, but that was the fining agent for for um, for those those days. And you would put it in your stock. You'd take everything out. Of course, you put it in your stock and you'd watch all of those particles just gravitate towards what we call the raft or what is still called the raft. And then you'd lift that raft out and you'd have your, you know, f clear, clear bouillon. I loved learning that stuff. It was great. But I knew that I wasn't interested in being a chef because I wasn't interested in being on the line and making $7, which is really what you have to do. I had already, I was already older than that and, and couldn't really do that. I was married. I was interested in starting a family. It wasn't 
something that I was interested in doing. Is, and I wasn't interested in being a star, which is what I think keeps a lot, people keeps people like in the, <laughs> on line, the line for yeah, getting seven dollars. And I'm like, one day exactly. I'm one gonna day make it. I'm it's kind of you'd kind of already seen that on the acting side. You're like, ah, I'm, fool me once. Yep, yep. Yeah. I don't want, uh, exactly. Egg on my face another time, um, and I think I think that was you know really a good experience for me because I loved doing it, but I also loved um, my accounting class. You know, it was mm-hmm. really those were the two that I remember and recall being the most interesting to me. Purchasing too, that was always interesting. Um, but there was you know, there were professors in my class. Uh, this was the story I was going to tell. It's probably going to make it to the cutting room floor, but. I loved culinary, and I did really well in it. I did well in, in the basic cooking class, and I had a, a professor who was um, a newlywed. He had a baby. He had just had a baby. He was getting his master's degree, and he was teaching. And one day, you know, I he was, he was tasting everybody's soups, and I see this little ring of white. You know, chefs typically abuse uh, drugs and alcohol. I mean, that's not... I, I don't. I don't want to go on the record for that. But, but he had this little ring of cocaine that looked like around his nose, and I was thinking, this is insane. You know, that's the other thing. I don't want to be involved with this, with this world that is just too chaotic and too. Um, I was interested in progressing, not in regressing. And I think that's the part about the restaurant business that I didn't like is. But at least he knew what it was, because I'd be like, "Oh, um, there's something. Some Do you flour. need a tissue? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think Have you that's been baking? is that all purpose? Because I'm, you know, completely clueless on stuff. Like oh, that. yeah, yeah. There's been yeah. so many instances where it's been very obvious. Where people like, had to say um, to you, "Yeah, no, maybe. exactly." Usually, another waiter. It's like, don't you know, not understanding what's going on right now? I'm surprised you worked in the restaurant industry. It's a pretty abu- well abused drug in the restaurant. Restaurant. I mean, I uh, there was. Um, I came up in that era where it was popular with clientele. Um, actually, oh, yeah, yeah. a lot, very popular, but not. Um, you know, wasn't. I mean, that was. I was a busboy. You know, I wasn't gotcha. like. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was, I was know, going was for doing. the designer merchandise. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, I do. It's too expensive. Well, it's gross. But I, I do. I have one other. That you're making me think of J- Janie and Mel Masters. I don't know if you know them. They're in the wine industry and also the restaurant industry. I think they're in Colorado now. Two wonderful, wonderful people. But they owned a restaurant in Manhattan um, with um, Jonathan Waxman uh, called Jams. And it was oh, yeah, right James. up here. Yeah, yeah. Sure. It's just, it's, yeah. And um, Mel told me one day, it's sort of funny, you know, I think there were, you know, more people who knew, who remembered the bathroom of jams more than they yeah well exactly when i was a busboy they had individual there was i worked in a restaurant with individual bathrooms that locked behind you <laughs> which is an invitation to you know all kinds of stuff oh god you know I'm you know sure. maybe involving multiple people maybe yeah. you know all kinds of things right. happen when that is the situation that's yes. why when you go to a keith mcdowney restaurant you're like oh wow this we're all going to share the sink are we <laughs> you know what i mean like you know, and yeah. there's the guy handing you the towel at Balthazar. You're like, oh, smart move, McNally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's it's really just a function of that. It's not like, oh, fusion cuisine makes me feel so frisky. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it's like just, true. how did you style out the bathrooms? It's like the whole, that's that's what knew. your clientele McNally is. McNally knew, I'm sure. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I did not work for him. I worked for someone who did not know. Who did you work um, for in your well, restaurant career? A, a lot of people. I mean, I, I I think I came up at a time when there was um, there was no um, 
there was there were uh, my f- very first restaurant job. Um, there was no Danny Meyer. There was no, um, you know, fine dining past kind of the uh, La restaurants. Uh huh. I do know what you, you mean. You know, by that. and and so um, and I was younger than the Drew Nearports, the you know the La La guys, and also those restaurants hired guys for the most part. Um, my very first restaurant job was at a place called Café en de Trois, which is still there, um, in, the res- in the theater district on 44th Street. And it was a lively, I mean, we had, we had all kinds, Sarah Vaughan would come in, you know, Mick Jagger. It was a pretty fun place to be. And at that point, it was really a cash business. And we would write out the menus in French, you know, and the specials on the board, and Rie de Vaux, and... Um, cassoulet, and you know, it was sort of really. I think they probably still do the same thing, you know, uh, um, fish en papillotte. And it was an old fashioned kind of bistro or, or brasserie type of restaurant. Um, and then I graduated from there to um, really th- some theater work and didn't do much restaurant work for a while. I went and I opened Carmine's, the second location after they had opened one for a year, they had opened the second one. And it was an interesting place to be because it was an Italian, the list at that point was really extraordinary. I mean, the restaurant wasn't special. It was just a great place to make cash. So it wasn't about, you know, culinary experience, but it was a great place for me to make a lot of money. Um, We, it was a cash only restaurant at that point. Um, there were different laws that, that have now been tightened up quite a bit. But um, like regarding taxes. And regarding stuff like, taxes. Because I and saw that happen. Like, I remember all of that occurring. Oh, yeah. Like the decla- declaration thing. And I was 97. like, oh, wait. <laughs> like, you're yeah. taking more? You're actually taking some? Wait. This <laughs> like, used to be mine. <laughs> hold on. <laughs> yeah, so it was definitely a different era. And um, I, was, I was really. Um, I was I was really interested in that point in in wine. I mean, I was starting to get interested in wine. It was the late '90s, I guess. Um, and we had I remember we had a list that was trying to represent all of the Appalachians of of Italy. And I I was in Sicily just a couple of weeks ago. You know, even Italy has a problem doing that. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, sometimes yes. Um, it was funny because, you know, I was with Alice Bonacorsi, who's, you know, an Etna producer and one of the first that was oh, in this Oh, I had market. that one. Are you bringing that in now? Yeah, uh, no, I'm not. Oh, no, okay. No, but we're, we're distributing it. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's yeah, an indigenous wine. I was wine. like, you're just <laughs> randomly hanging with that. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. no, indigenous. No, I had it in Rome. I didn't know who imported it. Yeah, <laughs> um, but Alice is really a special person and that's a special place. Um, and I was telling her, you know, really when I first started to become aware of those wines from from Sicily, it was, Corvo was all you could get. I mean, we knew that there was other wine, but it wasn't imported. So, but I learned a lot. I learned a lot from Godfrey Palestina, who was the wine director and owner of Carmine's at that time, and, you know, who's since gone on to own a lot of other restaurants, West and Cheska. And, oh, okay, okay. And, sure. he, you know, he now has... Oh, uh, I met him the other day. He's yeah, like, it, uh, I met him at Cheska. So he was he was the first sort of entree for me into that world of of Italian wine and, and no appetizer, just straight to the oh, yeah, sorry. right to the entree. Yeah, I love that yeah. joke. God, I <laughs> use it too often. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, my father's French. I'm allowed to speak. No, no, I got you. You have great 
I mean, you could say Castellet to me, and I would just listen to you say it. We could do you it for could. an hour. You That's could. what I'm talking about. Are you like Morticia Adams? I'm, I, you know, <laughs> you have great pronunciation. It works for me. Thank you, thank you. I am um, my my father um, is was born and raised in France and came here when he was 15. So that had to help with the restaurant helped. thing. Like they probably just figured you knew what you were talking about. Uh, you know, it's funny because. It, it is true. Anytime we had a French waiter in that first restaurant, that I, you automatically assume that they knew what the wines were and they didn't. You know, it was, it was very Almost always amusing. that's the case. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? That's yeah. almost like a 99, 100% rule. He's got to know. Yeah, he's got to know. Yeah. yeah. And my dad was from Brittany. I mean, he was in Brittany uh, growing up. Um, and there's no wine in Brittany, you know, so right. it's just... If you want to talk happens. about oysters. If you want to talk about oysters. Yeah. It's a great place to talk about oysters. Absolutely. They used to, when there was, you know, a lot, a lot of poverty there, they used to eat seaweed. That was a major form of protein for I that didn't culture. Know that. I you know, it's fascinating. The Japanese isn't it? of France. I know, right. Well, yeah. there's a lot of people from Brittany here in New York. A lot. A lot of waiters are from or trace their roots to that. Yeah. So it's something that's come up before. They seem usually like hardworking good guys, usually. Yeah. Kind of like the salt of the earth French guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, they're 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 like the main, you know, they're no nonsense. The main of France. Um, and of course, good cheese in Normandy, but in Brittany, nothing. No no dairy. I never thought about that. So no no cheese, no wine, just Calvados. Right, just Calvados. And cider. Right, right. <laughs> and we're grateful to them for that. Yeah, but not enough people are grateful. You know what uh, I mean? Yeah. It's like... I, I was thinking, because you had Ralph Kuttel on the show recently, and I was listening to... you know to, Ralph? Yeah, Ralph and I... Worked at Cena together and are still friends. I mean, I... Oh, okay. Um, yeah, when he was like the chef de cuisine? He was the chef de cuisine at Cena um, under Normand Laprice, who was, as you know, flying in and out of Montreal at the time and and really coming in to do a menu change during a seasonal you know, menu change and stay for a week. And Ralph executed everything. So he was really the boss in terms of, you know, execution and, and fulfillment. And Normand was the creative director um, so now we get the the real inside scoop about a recent interview. I mean, what was he like to work with? Was he a good guy? He was an amazing guy. Yeah, um, that's what it seems like. Yeah, like Ralph today, you know what I mean? Was a, a special person to work with. That whole team was really quite good. I mean, there's a lot of friends that still are close. I mean, even though they're sort of far flung, that still stay in touch. Um, Stephen and Thalia Lafredo, as you know, owned it. And, and that was um, exciting because Stephen was really into wine and a lot of domestic wines, but, um, you know, really having an opportunity to work under really creative people like that was, was really wonderful. And even Normand, I, I consider somebody who I really, um, appreciate in terms of a teacher. Um, he's, he's got a wonderful restaurant, Toque in uh, Montreal, and I've been up to visit him and eaten there. It's superb. Um, so I was lucky, you know, I got Did a chance. Did you ever tell to, him, the only thing this place is missing to be good is me, and you had your chance. <laughs> I used to work for you. Oh, no, I didn't want to move to Montreal. Wonderful place to visit in the summer because it's cool, but uh, I think it's too too snowy, too cold. I'm looking to go further south. If I, I went I, there on one icy winter. Did you? <laughs> like, supposed winter break, good idea. Like, oh, let's go drink in Montreal while you're in college, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yep. 
Yeah. Well, all we did was like skitter on the ice and go to like half bit like nightclubs for the most part. And we finally stumbled onto like the Shangri La of nightclubs, but like went to like the worst, you know. Like I remember asking the storeman, is this a good nightclub? And he goes to me, and this should have been a big tip off. Well, I work here, so of course I'm going to say it's a good nightclub, which, Ooh, which of course that's a means, flag. means no. <laughs> but I was like, oh, okay, well, let me queue up to pay 25 for the cover. You know what I mean? Dumb. Like, I mean, because if it's smarter. good, you're like, well, obviously it's good, bro. Why are you even asking me? You know what I mean? That's the, that's the, res- by the way, <laughs> if you ever are in this situation and a guy <laughs> says to you, I work here. So of course I'm going to, you know, that's a bad sign, you know? I, I couldn't agree more. It's a good, good, good story. And when you ask a waiter, if the, something is good, I always ask waiters. What, right. What do you, you, like? you, you do do that? Oh, I do. I, Cause sometimes it elicits like weird responses. It sometimes does. I don't try and do it to to do that i mean i'm not looking to put anybody the whole on everything is good thing I always like i'm oh, like oh, okay I hate that. yeah all right well we, or you know we, what I we don't, missed our chance for I don't a real get to connection there that's my least <laughs> right 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 yeah i can't afford to eat here. then it makes you feel like some like oh, capitalist honey let you me know. give you an extra 20 <laughs> yeah 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 exactly <laughs> yeah i'm a capitalist i mean who uh, you know who isn't right um, well and this you know how could you possibly survive i don't think you could which is Part of the problem, I think, is, you know, with wine or with show business is, you know, you have to survive doing it. And it doesn't, the things that you love about it aren't necessarily, um, you know, aren't necessarily mercantile, but you have to sort of abuse it. And it's unfortunate, but you have to weave that in. How did you make the jump to the wine side? I mean, who did you work for first? What happened? Um, I I worked... uh, for Andrew Silverman, who's such a polarizing character, he was very good to me. But um, one of the things about when I stopped, you know, working in, in as a waiter, I wanted to, you know, work as a manager. And so one of the things that Andrew does is is he sort of says, you know, do everything. So you have to schedule everybody. You have to... Um, be there to open, be there to close. You have to make sure that you're on the floor kind of as a hospitality expert. And you're also required to do things like purchasing uh, of things like glassware or, you know, sometimes provisional items like salt and pepper and stuff like that. I used but, to have to buy milk. Yeah. And it was, <laughs> a, it was, a, it was a ridiculous, <laughs> like, headache. Because they would send you milk that was about to expire. Oh. And then you'd be like, come on, bro. You just sent me milk that's going to expire today. Like, And, and then you get into these big things. Comes up. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're like, how hard could it be to order milk? You know? It's actually much harder. When then if you run out, everybody looks at you like you're... You know, right. You're, like, how can you not order milk? Yeah. I, 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 order I had to go to the Whole Foods a couple times. Yeah. I, it's, just it, to cover it was ass. really frustrating. It's much easier to buy burgundy. Much, <laughs> much easier. easier. No expiration. Well, I mean, the reds, no expiration. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's easy. So, I yeah, mean... So, so he, he put me in charge of buying wine, and I was like, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I didn't know anything about wine except that I'd served it for years and, you know, gathered a little bit of information, like I said, from people like Godfrey. And um, it was it was really an eye-opener. I mean, I, I realized that I had to do it and I wanted to do a good job at it. So I started to study and I entered um, the WSET program at that point and, and uh, did the at, at that point, I knew en- enough to go into kind of the advanced, I guess it's intermediate and advanced. And then um, and then I did the diploma program, and and I I 
that was love. I mean, it was just per, absolute, um, absolute appreciation for how wonderful it was to do something like that. And and I just wanted to learn, wanted to learn, wanted to learn. Molly Battenhouse was in my class. I know which, Molly. She's yeah, really nice. She's terrific. And and uh, you know, I'm 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 sure. Um, we'll be an MW and an MS shortly. <laughs> yeah, I think she's well, taking a test, like, as we speak, almost. Yeah, could be, could be. <clears throat> so, you know, and I remember um, a very good friend of mine, Raimundo Gabi, was in the class, and he said, uh, do you want to be in a study group together? Because the first day or something, they said, you know, you have to form study groups. Oh, they said that. Because uh, I, I took the diploma, and they didn't tell me that. And then, <laughs> like, two like years later, one. I was like, you know what? Would have been a good idea. Yeah. I remember it. Um, Mary saying, you know, you have to do this, and and I and and Gabby said to me, Raimundo said to me, you you want to be in a study group with me? And I said, sure, but as long as we can get her too. And I pointed at Molly. So um, no, she'd be great to study with. She's oh, super organized. Oh, I just remember being so impressed with her and what she would talk about in in class, and um, it was really. Something and then Lisa Granick was also in my class, and she was oh, okay. of course the goddess of of knowledge. And I remember also her saying to me, "You know, I'm just I'm good at studying." You know, she had a degree to practice law, a degree to uh, teach law, I and then a degree that. in foreign service, and had spoke. You know, spoke no way. Of, yeah, she's pretty Im- impressive. So I we had a terrific you know kind of community in in my class, and uh, it was wonderful. And I loved learning all of that. And and again, it was. I realized I'm. I could either do this, or I could make money. You know, I could either really devote myself to the study of this, or I could put my head down and make some money, which I hadn't done ever in my life. So I put my head down. I started working at Frederick Wildman about four days before 9/11, and that was the beginning of sales. So I transitioned from restaurant into a sales position, which I thought I had the personality for. Um, um, I think um, the scholarly kind of pursuit was was more, you know, for, for people like Lisa and Molly. I, I don't think I had the brain capacity anymore to memorize all that stuff. It always struck me like we were throwing spaghetti against the wall and seeing how much of it would stick because you'd have one week to do all of France. It was You know, if you much. use less salt, it sticks hard. Oh, oh, oh you weren't actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's a trick I've learned. I, I didn't know you that. Know, don't put any salts in the water. It sticks more. It sticks more. Yeah, yeah I, oh. you know, as you can see from the wall art here, I frequently yes, partake I in that. No, I just... was wondering about that abstract. <laughs> yeah, inspired by Pollock. So you, you took over. I guess it's actually not funny at all. You took over at one of the kind of real terrible times in the. Oh yeah, it was. Um, it was. It was tough. I mean, we were. I, I was like I say. I had been in the restaurant business a long enough time, and I was given a run from a guy who. Um, was working in Brooklyn, and I think he was probably working from home a lot, and I was hungry and young, younger than him anyway, and I was given a run for, for part of his territory in, in Brooklyn. He was um, he was leaving, and I took over for, for his territory in Brooklyn and Staten Island. That was where he was working, and I was given, because I had friends, I was friends with Kurt Eckert, I was given stuff like Jean-Georges, which had been a house oh, wow. account. And, yeah, that's nice. Yeah, and honor. Kurt was super kind to me, um, and for some reason I was given Jean-Luc Ledoux at Danielle, who was also incredibly kind to me and nice, and we had enough Burgundy and Bordeaux even to sell those guys, um, so I had some you know, really uh, application in those restaurants. Um, so I had I had 
a little bit of a run. And I, also all I had to do is really show up at the counts to do better than the guy who I had replaced um, for those, for the, uh, because he had really sort of retired. Um, and when people, I had lost a friend at 9-11, a friend of, of mine's uh, wife, a uh, good friend of mine's wife had died in the uh, second building. So I, I really had something to say, you know, when people said, why are you calling me? Don't you know what just happened? W one, there was a sort of a rallying cry in New York of, we don't want this thing to have brought us down. So we, we still want to engage in business with each other because we don't want to lose this battle with these people um, uh, or with this, this tragedy. You know, we don't want it to take us over. And so we were, uh, I, I, I had that on my side. You know, people were struggling, but they were also willing to listen. Um, so I was trying to open accounts and trying to get started in this sales thing. And I also had a lot of friends because I had been doing it for many, many, many years, you know, almost two decades. And um, the restaurant business, I mean. Um, and I think the other thing that helped was um, I was a New Yorker, you know, and I was saying, look, I, I know you don't want to see me with wines. I know you don't know me, but um, you, 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 you need to, <laughs> you know, this is, we're all in the same boat. So you kind of have to help each other. And that was the, sort of the feeling then. But it was, it was a tough time to be starting out in that business. But um, I, was, I was determined to succeed. And how long were you with Wildman? Five years. Five really good years. I still really That's a pretty good run, you know? Those people, yeah. Quite a bit, yeah. It was a good run. It was really an interesting time. So was that before or after? That would have been after Scott Gerber and Martin Gold oh, left. Oh, yes. Uh, like different era. It was, yeah, it was after they had left and they had taken most of the domestic portfolio with them. Um, but they had left a couple of gems, including Ridge and... Um, uh, Danny Kidd, who is the person who has been at Wildman probably the longest, I don't think he's in sales anymore, but um, had really rallied around some of the existing producers that said, hey, no, we're, we're not going to be a European distribution company. We still want our California producers and had staunched the, um, you know, the flow of uh, producers towards Martin Scott and um, kept a couple of real gems. And, you know, Maryvale was one of them. And of course... We had Harlan as a result of that because that kind of grew out of Maryville. Oh, well, that's right. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, it was um, perhaps the reason I saw so much Maryville in the in the late nineties. It was yes, very popular for a while. Like you would, you know, I sold a lot of profile. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. Don Weaver, who's the head of of uh, I guess the head of of all of Harlan sales and and marketing and director of operations or whatever you would call his title. I don't, I, I don't actually know what his title is, um, but I remember he, was, he would say, you know, when we were first selling Harlan, you know, when he had stopped or he was still selling Maryville and also selling Harlan, he said it was a struggle at the beginning. Um, you know, really trying to introduce people to Harlan and, and uh, at one, by the time I was selling it, it was not a struggle, of course, but I, I recognized what they had built before. And one of my favorite quotes that he had was, um, you know, here at Harlan, we're, we're all about no. You know, you can never get enough of it. And, and everybody was really always frustrated by that. Um, but it was, you know, because I guess I had the Danielle's and the Jean Georges. It was also another wine that was very helpful. I don't know that people are that 
Not that they're not interested in Harlan. I think they are, but I don't know if that formula is, is, is a, as important anymore. And yeah, it seemed to be the defining formula for a good six years. Yeah. And, you know, at least in what I saw in my career, and now it's almost like non-existent. I think that's positive. I mean, whether or not those wines are great and those wines can still you know, sort of hold their hold their own, I think they probably can. It's not about the wine, but I do like that the sea yeah, change... Yeah, I'm just talking about the allocation process. Right. Not not at all about the wine, but just the right. fact that you, if you wanted X, you had to play ball with Y, y and Q and R and yeah. whatever comes before X right. <laughs> or well, after. I mean, I, I think the allocation issue is a good one too, but I was thinking about the uh, Parker issue. Oh, okay, you know, the yeah. The fact that that it doesn't seem like people are using that so much as a guide as they used to. So you went to IPO. You started your own business. You did I, started, I started a company called Ibanez Plevin Offerings in 06. And um, it's now called IPO. I, we, we dissolved that relationship in 2011 in April. And then I started. So that was collective. another five-year run. What, yeah. was, what was that experience like? I mean, besides having to roll your ends all the time and. Oh, it was exciting in many, many, many ways. I mean... You were under your own umbrella, doing your yeah. own, own steam. It was... We were working with the wines from Eric Solomon, which was our, how we started. John David Hederick and Eric Solomon and John David Hederick had just started his business. And he had beautiful champagnes, um, Le Clapart, Bedel. Um, we were we were working with gorgeous Loire producers, Vacheron, and... Um, and then we added a couple of California properties. Yeah, yeah. Which kind I remember of, that. Yeah, was was helpful and startling at the same time. It gave us a lot of street cred. I mean, we had a book. Oh, that is was that true? Because now it'd be the so. opposite. People are like, "Where's the Sancerre Rouge?" But back then, people were like, "Where's that big jammy thing?" <laughs> yeah, where's that big jammy thing? Thankfully, um, we were we. I mean, and you just needed cash, so it was right, uh, right, right. helpful. But it was also a good, you know. It was a good way to get people who wouldn't otherwise. We were working in two states too, so that was helpful for for uh, opening doors um, in some ways. I don't know that it's the same as as it would you know as it is now as it was then. But I think Pulsar gets you in now. You know? <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yes. Oh, you have a Pulsar. Well, oh. I'll take your appointment. Yeah, there was. Yes, exactly. There is a little bit of that, but people have beat me to the Pulsar punch for sure. Um, so. It, that and then and then you know we we were um, lucky enough to take uh, on the rest of Kermit Lynch's book whatever hadn't been wasn't being well represented or whatever Weinbow was willing to give up at that point, which fundamentally was uh, the Italians, right? Italians, right. no, and it was a lot of French producers too. You know, they oh, couldn't yeah? do all the bundles that. Right, right, uh, right, and that would be like a gamay from the Loire and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. The some Ronais, of the uh, some the of the people. Ronais. That, that was a delicious wine, actually. That there, there's um, there's a uh, a couple of producers even in Beaujolais that you know were not part of the gang of of uh, four that we could. Although the gang of four keeps seeming to expand (laughs) every time. Oh, he was a auxiliary member of the gang of four. (laughs) You know, it's like the gang of 35. You know what I mean? Well, Kermit's, you know, an expansionist. Yeah, yeah, clearly. Mm -hmm. You know, it's worked out well for him. Yeah. I think, you know, I wouldn't want to play against him in risk. You know what I mean? Oh, no, I wouldn't either. (laughs) You know? And it would work, just working, getting to know him a little bit and and, um, um, certainly... Traveling to some of the producers that he works with was was eye opening and I wonderful bet. and terrific and 
you know, so that was terrific. That was wonderful. I mean, one of the things that's sort of startling is going from Wildman, where you, you know, you at, after five years, you're starting to really get comfortable with the producers. There's a lot of producers. And then you go and start your own company. And I, I had to hit the ground running. I had to hit the ground selling. And so you kind of, you're talking about people you haven't met and haven't talked to, haven't, don't know yet, haven't, you know, you don't even know. You're looking at a cheat sheet. What's in this wine? Um, my, one of my favorite quotes is actually from Kermit, and I've said it a thousand times, so I'm sure a lot of people who who might listen to this that know me have heard it already, but is being at a tasting with him and somebody saying, you know, what's in this? And he said, I was hoping you wouldn't ask me that. You know, that's never been my forte. It's never been my interest so much. It's always been, is this wine great? Which is totally simplistic, and I, I need to uh, really, you know, I, I, one, I respect people who have that kind of memory capacity, but um, two, it really makes sense to me that you you understand all your wines pretty thoroughly, but, um, but it, that was you, not... I'm with you, though. For me, it's like, is it great, or is, is it, it great? you know, Tony the Tiger great? You know, yeah. these are the questions yeah. I ask myself, you know what I mean? I, I got a text recently from a friend who said, is it great, or is it good? <laughs> Right, said, right. It's good. It's good. Great's definitely thrown around a lot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like the gang of four. It's thrown <laughs> around a lot. <laughs> yeah, you know? It has members that sh- it shouldn't shouldn't be there, I'm sure. Um, so that was that was really interesting to me. It was exciting to me to hear him say that because he didn't really care, you know, about what was um what was you know, he cared about what the what was in the bottle, of course, but he didn't care about the contents necessarily in terms of analysis. Um and and I think, you know, for, I don't think there's anybody who is probably more passionate in, about wine than Kermit Lynch. I right. Mean, it's not like he didn't is, have an interest. Then. Yeah, yeah. But he started as, as a musician. I mean, that was his love. And I think he really looks at wine. And inter- I, I have no idea if this is true. So I'm speaking about an interpretation, of course. But I don't know that he... He, um, I'm sure he looks at it as as a way to pay bills, you know. And mm-hmm. but um, he's he's certainly passionate about it. So, um, you know, it's it's an it's an interesting thing. You have to kind of do both. You have to say, okay, what makes sense here? And the wines that I like to work with are ones that move me. But those aren't always the easiest wines to sell. So um you have to kind of have a little bit of both you have to have a little bread and butter and so what the, the vine collective which is r- really my what you're doing these days yeah, yeah. my uh, job these days is to try and balance those two things and um balance them in a way that you feel extremely proud about or not I'll leave out the extreme either that you feel proud about what you're doing you feel proud about what you're showing but you're not um slavish to kind of an ideology you're just really trying to take care of business, and that is keeping your job and your business afloat and keeping your people who work with you happy and, and satisfied and well-paid. So it's a kind of a balancing act between, I think, it's always going to be wines that you like and, and respect and care about, but some of them are going to be really special and really have a place in your heart and some are not. And what are some of the achievements that have made you quite happy over the couple of years that you've been doing the Vine Collective? Um, I would say, um, the work in Italy, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I would say for me, it was a, a, a sort of a happy accident. I had, um, there are probably two things. One is the collaboration and working with Ed Addis and Barbara Selleck, his wife. Um, I say it like that. I shouldn't, it's, it's really uh, their company. It's not him and his wife. <laughs> um, but Ed and Barbara have, 
been working with me since Frederick Wildman days. When I left Frederick Wildman, I asked Ed if he would join me at um, IPO. And he said, sure. So we started working with his wines and it was not a good, the the marriage between, I think, uh, my partner at the time and, and Ed wasn't really a good one. I, I don't think there was a lot of respect, um, unfortunately. Um, so when I left to form the Vine Collective, I said, Ed, would you, you know, I'm thinking of doing this. Would you like to come along? And he said, absolutely. So really, I could have just sold this beautiful portfolio of French wines that Ed has amassed over the past, you know, I don't know, 12, 13 years, something like that. He is... Um, uh, uh, not a self-promoter. He's got a, a beautiful portfolio, though, of French wines that sort of started in the southwest in Bordeaux, but have expanded to the Loire, Champagne, um, a little bit of Languedoc recently, um, Rhone, just spectacular producers. And he's not, I'd say, as good as any, you know, as good as Kermit, as good as any French portfolio. Again, I don't think he's... Um, the best at self-promotion. So, you know, he, he hasn't ever really um, sh- tooted his own horn. So that really is um, probably why he's a little bit under the radar. But um, people do love some of the wines have become, you know, quite well known. The Marciac, uh, Domaine de Croix. Oh, sure. Yeah, I've had that many times. Yeah, it's a special wine. That's a wine I've been selling for, I don't know, 11 years or something. It's just a spectacular bottle. And that's one of his. And he's, um, so he's quite special. He's got a lot of great distributors around the country. But the collaboration really started there. And I could have kept the book like that, just him for a couple of years, probably, and done just fine. But I had taken a trip to Italy um, in April of 2011, just before I terminated my relationship with uh, IPO. And we, uh, I went to Chirea and Favorita, the two sort of uh, Vini Veri, Vini Natur, the natural wine fairs that surrounded the time, you know, surrounded the area of the Veneto and, and Verona um, that were taking place concurrently with Vin Italy. And I did some shopping and it was exciting. And last year, um, I went up to Dario Princic and I said, you know, would you like, he doesn't speak English and I don't speak good enough Italian to ask him, but I, somehow I conveyed to him I would like to represent his wines in New York. Which was a tough nut to crack because like he'd been there producing wine that was esteemed for a long time and no one brought him in for the longest. So yeah. there was always some kind of like wondering about why he wasn't in the market. And Well, some people say, hey, you know, he's, he's grouchy or he's a... I've never seen that side of him. He's incredibly generous man and uh, very kind and has been always very warm to me. So I sort of said, you know, would you like to do this? And he looked at me and said, yes. And I I thought, wow, you know, I I mean, I already had worked with Kerrison. I was already working with them and and Piedmonte. And um, so I was starting to gather these producers that were working naturally and a lot of them organically and biodynamically, and I don't know if that's a verb, <laughs> um, but uh, he he was willing to come on board, which was really exciting for me. So we did that. We we added his wines to the book last year, and that was wonderful. I I remember going up to my friend Walter Speller, who... who oh, sure, Walter. Yeah, he's super smart. Oh, he's wonderful. He writes for Jancis Robinson on all things Italian, and I yeah. said, Walter, I think I just signed Dario Princic and he said, okay, you can go home now. You, you did your job this year. You know, you've, you've, you've That's gotten... That's pretty funny. Yeah, he's got a, he's clever, that guy. Well, 
If if you would like to explore the Vine Collective portfolio further, give Cattell a call. Cattell Plevin of the Vine Collective. Thank you very much for being here oh, today. Oh, thank you too, Levy. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L-drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.